Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Place your left hand on the Bay of Bible and raise your right hand and repeat after me. I do solemnly swear. We, the jury, find the defendant not guilty. Protests continued this weekend in Ferguson and around the country. Quit resisting. You're under no, you're It right. makes no sense. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Judge, you are the last line of reason in this case. Every one of us took an oath of office and we're sworn to uphold the Constitution. Tenderfoot TV in Atlanta, this is Sworn. I'm your host, Philip Holloway. On this Closing Statements episode, we've reached out to Johnny Moeller and Mike Freer, two of the original detectives assigned to Tiffany Witten's case in the very beginning. We've already talked to John Dawes, the current lead investigator at the Cobb County Cold Case Unit, but we felt it was important to talk to the two people who know the most about Tiffany's case besides John Dawes and Lisa Daniels, and that's Detective Moeller and Detective Freer from the Marietta Police Department. I'm Johnny Moeller. I am a police officer here with Marietta Police. I've been employed here for almost 17 years now. I'm currently assigned to our training academy. Um, I train new recruits and already certified officers. Prior to that, I spent 10 years in our detective division working homicide and crimes against persons. Okay, so about how long after her disappearance did you get involved? Actually, our department did not get involved until January 
when Tiffany's mom, Lisa, came to the department to make a missing persons report. So we were already way behind the curve when the report was made um, because Tiffany went missing in September. And it was almost four months later in January um, when she was reported missing by her mom to us. And then that's when we became aware of the case and got involved. It's just one of those cases that stays with you. At that point, when when I started working the case, I had been in detectives for nine years, you know, working homicides and those type cases. And this was the first case in my time back there as far as serious cases where that I wasn't actually able to bring to a resolution. It's not officially a homicide case at this point, but you know, all facts are, are pointing to that at this point. It's really the only homicide case that I haven't resolved in my 10 years in detectives. And so it just, it does bother me. It hangs over my head, you know, not being able to bring closure, bring answers for Lisa and her family. And as I worked the case, you know, over the year time that I worked the case, you know, I got to know Lisa, I got to know her family, and it was just heartbreaking to see the the effects that it had on her entire family. There are definitely people out there who know what happened, and that's the frustrating part for me as an investigator, you know, because it's like beating your head against a wall. You know that that people know, but they're just not willing to to talk talk to the police or to come forward and, and tell what they know. And that's that's the most frustrating. When you first started on the case, what was the first thing that you did? The first thing that I did was I, I called Lisa. So I wanted to talk to her and, and get um, as much information as I could about Tiffany and kind of what we refer to as victimology, you know, find out who Tiffany was, what she was about, you know, what her habits were and all of that stuff, and, and to try and get a feel for, you know, what what may have happened. And no one better knows, you know, their child than a mother. So um, I knew when I talked to Lisa, after I got handed the case, I immediately went to my desk and I called Lisa and I said, hey, you know, tell me what you can about Tiffany. And we probably spoke for maybe an hour and a half. And, you know, she told me a lot of things about Tiffany, about her past, you know, good and bad. And she told me things that just, um, you know, as a mother, she would know, you know, and it just, the things that she was telling me just didn't add up. It didn't make sense. And I just felt like in my heart that, you know, something was, was, seriously wrong. At some point, Tiffany would have reached out in, in that four-month time frame, if not to Lisa, to another member of the family, um, and she hadn't done so. So I, I knew that we had a, um, a long road ahead um, to figure out exactly what had happened. You have to look at all the factors. Um, did her lifestyle put her in a um, more vulnerable position to be victimized? Yeah, I believe so. Um, you know, but ultimately what happened to her is the responsibility of the person who who did that, you know, who um, is responsible for her disappearance and her missing. Um, so, yeah, it, absolutely, I think her lifestyle contributed to that. Um, but certainly I'm in no way blaming her because she's not responsible for absolutely. those actions. Um, what did you learn about the people that Tiffany ran with? Mm, some interesting characters, for have you, sure. Have you talked to many of them? 
I've talked to <laughs> more than I could probably even count, just tirelessly talked to people. I've gone to the jail day after day after day to talk to people who've been arrested, who ran in the same circles as Tiffany, just in hopes of somebody having a a piece of a bit of information that might could help. You know, we've even tried working with people who have criminal charges in hopes that, you know, um, they might be willing to, to come forward and, and exchange information. It's just been exhausting the the number of people that I've encountered in this case. You know, and some a lot of the same people I've interviewed time and time again um, in the midst of the years that I worked on it. You know, we we're fortunate enough to have that video um, as a result of the shoplifting incident. Um, so that's kind of a blessing for us in that sense. Um, but I definitely believe that whatever happened to her happened a short time after um, the Walmart incident. It, it's the most frustrating part, and it's by far the most frustrating case that I've ever worked in my career Um it's one of those cases where you do everything that you know to do and then you do some more. You know, you try different things or try new things that you've never even thought of in the past on other cases, but it's you, once you exhaust all of your all of your other avenues, you're you're left with nothing and but you still want to try and move forward and create some sort of, you know, activity on the case or chatter in Tiffany's circle of acquaintances or friends or whatever you want to call them. It's, it's frustrating, very frustrating. What was the last thing you got to do on the case? The last thing we searched, um, we searched some areas for her. Um, we had gotten a couple tips and searched in abandoned farm type area. Um, and we also did a search um, at a residence. Grisham Road, is that one of the places that, does that, that sound is, right? That is one of the places that we did search, yes. And we have, we have taken cadaver dogs <laughs> to different parts of the county um, doing searches and digging and looking and tracking. Um, Are these from tips that have come in? Or they're from tips. They're from um, leads that we have developed, you know, through work in the case and interviewing people, and and those kind of things. But nothing's turned up of any of it. No. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV True Crime Podcast, To Live and Die in LA. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. 
To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. How do you feel about leaving the case uh were you proud of any of the headway that you made on the case um do you feel like you left it in good hands i do i think initially the case was probably looked at as you know a lot of detectives look at missing persons cases um and they look at you know a person's history and and background and you know what's their their normal behavior and and all those kind of things. Um, and when you look at Tiffany's case on the on the surface, you know it appears to be just one of those normal kind of cases of uh, well, she might be on a drug binge or she's just you know mad at her family and out of contact. But then as you start really looking into it a little bit deeper, you start to see some of the issues that you know cause concern that are out of the ordinary. And, uh, you know, I think that initially the case probably got looked at as just one of those cases that, you know, oh, she'll turn up. And as time went on and as I started working the case and started interviewing people, I started to realize that, you know, things were not adding up um, and that something was terribly wrong. But I feel like that, you know, I, I was able to take the case basically from nothing and, you know, work it for an entire year, um, work it exhaustively for an entire year. And I felt like that I got it to a point where, you know, uh, without another significant break in the case, it wasn't, it was kind of at a stopping point. And so I was kind of in a, a limbo state at that time to where, you know, I was kind of just waiting for another piece of information because I had exhausted so many of the leads and things, tips that we had gotten prior to that. So, um, I I mean, I'm proud of the work that I did. It was, it was exhaustive, (laughs) but, you know, I feel like that I got, at least got some, 
answers for Lisa. Mm-hmm. Um, can we pause for a minute? Yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> okay. I get upset when I think about Lisa because I know what she's gone through. So Lisa is a is a remarkable woman. Um and I'm I feel very fortunate to, you know, considering the unfortunate circumstances, I feel very fortunate to have gotten to know her over the year that I worked the case and got to know her family. And, you know, she's a very, very strong woman. And she's raising Tiffany's daughter um, as well as, you know, Tiffany's older sister. And I just, you know, I don't see how she does it from day to day. You know, Um, I I remember one evening, this is while I was still in detectives, I got a call from Lisa and Lisa said Tiffany's daughter, who she had custody of, had asked her, that day, you know, what happened to my mommy? Is my mommy dead? You know, and that's just heartbreaking. You know, it's heartbreaking to know that Tiffany has a mother, a daughter, a sister, um, family out there who loves her and cares about her, you know, despite her lifestyle or the circumstances surrounding her disappearance. Do you believe that Tiffany is still out there? I would like to believe, for Lisa's sake, you know, that she is in my heart. You know, I feel like that she's not on this earth anymore. But I understand also for Lisa that, you know, there is always that glimmer of hope until she has the closure of, you know, knowing for certain. And I think that's the most devastating part for her family is the not knowing. Lisa and I have talked about this, but we've talked about, you know, there have been some positives that have come from it. You know, after I left detectives, after spending 10 years working those kind of cases and those kind of crimes, I just felt like it was time I needed a break. And a position at our training academy became available. And so I I took that position. And Lisa and I had talked prior to me leaving detectives about you know, how great it would be to be able to train um, other officers and other investigators and how to look at these cases and to look at them a little bit differently and not just as a number, not just as a statistic, but as, you know, as a as a person, as this being somebody's family member. I ended up developing a, a missing persons investigation class Um, that I teach to other investigators now, you know, and it's kind of the the good and the bad uh, and the ugly of these kind of investigations and lessons learned that I learned from work in this case, you know, that I try to share with other investigators now. So, you know, there are a few positives that have come, you know, from from such a, a sad case. When you work these these types of cases and and you've done this job for a long time, you you do have a tendency to become jaded in the things that you see and experience. You know, my hope is that even through all of that, whenever one of these cases comes across, you know, a detective's desk, that they take a second to think about it and 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 realize that, hey, this is this is someone's loved one. This is someone's daughter, son, mother, father. 
Um, and they keep that in the back of their minds whenever, you know, they, they move forward throughout the case because there are people that, that care about them despite the circumstances and, and that do want answers and that deserve answers. Do you think enough is being done on the case right now? I do believe so. I mean, unfortunately, you know, we're four plus years into it now and the, the leads are just not there like they used to be. The tips, you know, are not there. So certainly I do believe that if if tips are coming in, that they are being followed up on and they are being worked as they should be. I think the problem is, is there's just not really enough information coming in. Honestly, the case was a cold case when we got it because um, we were already four months behind the behind the curve. And so it's just continued as we, you know, have moved forward to get colder and colder. And really all it's going to take, though, is is someone coming forward with the right piece of information to tie everything together. You know, typically when women go missing or have been murdered, it's usually someone that's close to her or an acquaintance. It's not generally a stranger-on-stranger type crime. So it's usually someone that knows her that is, you know, a boyfriend, husband, spouse, something of that nature. So those are typically the people that we always look at first anyway, just statistically speaking. But any time that we've explored other options, we still keep coming back to the same path. Do you still talk to John Dawes about the case? I do talk to John, and we always talk about the case. Anytime I, I see him, I ask him, you know, any any new leads, any updates, anything going on, um, you know, in hopes that one day he he may have a, a, a bit of news for me, you know, or I'll get a phone call one day and to say, hey, you know, <laughs> we got something here. You know, that's the hope anyway. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, to live and die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. 
We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello. Hi, Mike. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. It's great to talk to you. You too. Wonderful. Could we start really quickly with an introduction? You just tell us your name and your title. Michael Freer, former Marietta police detective. Awesome. And you were the first detective on Tiffany's Witten's case or the second? The second. Detective Moeller was the first. Okay. And, and when did you get involved? Um, once Detective Moeller got transferred to a, a different unit, I was assigned the case. So I got involved right immediately after she uh, left the unit. And so I know that this happened in 2013. So what year did you get involved? I believe I got involved at the end of 2014, end of 2015. And how long were you on the case? I was on the case for over a year. And then I was transferred to the training unit. And so that's why your involvement in the case stopped? Yes, it did stop when I got transferred and it was assigned to somebody else. So what was the very first thing you did on this case after Moeller passed it over to you? First thing I did is I reviewed the whole case file again and I actually sat down with Johnny Moeller and talked to her about it and where we were going. And first thing I did after that, after reviewing the case is um, myself and another detective went down to Columbus, Georgia, to the prison down there and interviewed Ashley Caudill again because Johnny had already interviewed him. I decided to see maybe he'll be a little more talkative with a different detective. So myself and another detective went down to Columbus and interviewed him. It was about a 45-minute interview. Nothing new came out of him. He basically followed the pattern. He told Detective Moeller, you know, of what happened the night that Tiffany disappeared. But I wanted to just look him in the face because I had never dealt with him before. So that's the main reason I went down there is just to see who I was dealing with. And what was it like looking him in the face? He was what I expected, what Johnny had told me, arrogant and uh, full of himself. And once I got down there and just as soon as he started talking, I said, we're not going to get anything new out of him. He's just going to tell us the same, same stuff he's told everybody else. But I had to do it, you know, it had to be done. So Right. And did he seem receptive to talking? Or was he talking? Yeah, he did. He, liked, he talked a lot. Not anything that he talked about things that really didn't involve her disappearance. You know, he'd go off subject. I had to bring him back to subject, but he talked a lot. He talked about his family life and uh, how he's, he's unable to have any access to anything. And he was basically whining about how he was treated in prison. And like, <laughs> I just said to him, listen, it's prison. That's not to do with me. I don't, I'm not in charge of you being in here. You know, you're incarcerated for something else. I'm just here to get information. 
And then he would get back on subject for a little while, and I'd ask him about, you know, go over when the night when it dis- when she disappeared and all that. And he would just tell me the same thing that he told Detective Moeller. You know, he didn't know what happened to her, you know, blah, blah, blah. Then he'd go off subject again. In all honesty, it was a waste of my time to go down there, but I, you know, figured I might as well do it. You know, it's the right thing to do anyway. Right, to look him in the face and right. see. Did he ever seem like he had any feelings of sadness or remorse or like missed Tiffany? He mentioned that he missed her and, the, you know, oh yeah, his thing was, if I could help find her, I would, you know. He came across as aloof to the whole thing, you know, like, oh, whatever, you know. He would tell me, you know, I love you. I hope I find her. hope she's all right. But in my opinion, he didn't seem like he really gave her a care in the world about whatever happened to her. Just, you know, based on looking him in the eye and talking to him. Did he ever talk about Tiffany, anything personal about her, like her personal life or talk about her characteristics or was it just surface stuff? What surface happened stuff. That he did. T- he talked a little bit about her mom and how her mom thinks that he was involved, obviously. He doesn't care for for Lisa at all. But I looked at him and I I didn't say what I wanted to say, but yeah. But I, I kept it professional. But you know, he basically started talking about how Lisa's thinks he was involved and he's out, she's out to get him. But so I had to bring him back from that again and get him back on. You know, all he ever talked about Tiffany was surface official stuff and how you know I wasn't involved. I wish I could help you find her. You know that type of stuff. He never delved into anything. It was really. A very frustrating interview, as the other detectives said on their way home back to Atlanta. We said that was a waste of time. And do you think that it's possible he would ever veer from his story on his own initiative of his own, um, you know? Yeah. The only way he would change his story is if it benefited him. He's out for himself. Mm-hmm. Just Johnny realized that when she interviewed him, I'm sure. And then I realized that he's only he's out for himself. If he can get any do anything to make himself look better and get out of his predicament and being in jail for drugs, he would do it. But otherwise, no. How long is he in there for? That I don't know. I know it was a drug charge. I think it was a trafficking charge, but I'm not sure how long he's in there. He got transferred from that prison to another one, which I don't know which one he went into. So that was the very first thing you did on the case. So what was the very last thing you did on the case? There was a lot of things. I mean, I did, uh, we interviewed a guy at the jail who said he had information at the Cobb County Jail. We followed up on what he told us, and that turned out to be nothing. He was a another person involved in the drug world. I can't give you his name, but he because he's still involved in other things. But um, he gave us some information, which we followed up on, and it was a dead end. He gave us some names. I found, I only found one of the person that he gave us. I interviewed that person about what he knew, and he basically said. Well, this is what I heard. This is what I heard. So he's it's secondhand knowledge. I've never been able to get firsthand knowledge of somebody actually knows, saw her that night and knows what happened to her. So I would get, oh, I heard, you know, the old I heard. Well, I heard that uh, she disappeared. I heard that she uh, was in a truck. I heard, but, you know, it's nothing concrete. So do you believe that someone out there has that firsthand knowledge? Yes, I firmly believe that somebody knows. And the only way I think that that's ever going to come out if this person that knows or these people maybe there's more than one is faced with a situation where i better give you this information because it's going to help me i really think that some of these people that come forward with the information are just looking for an angle and they're just repeating what other people said i definitely think there's people out there that 
know what happened to her and know where she is. And I wish somebody would come forward and do that and contact the Cobb County DA's office and and tell them, listen, this is my situation, but I know exactly what happened that night. Because somebody knows besides Ashley. Somebody knows. Right. I think so, too. And it's so frustrating just to, I mean, because Lisa's such a great lady. It's just, I just, and her family's very nice. I just want something good to come out of it, you know, just some closure for them because obviously nothing, they know there's very little, if no chance that she's still with us. So, but we'd like to be able to give that family something to remember where, Hey, we, we can, we have a place we can put her for her final resting place instead of wherever she is, you know? Right. So that's the most frustrating part about the case. Cause I did a lot of interviews I made phone calls. Granted, and the whole thing with that, I was still working. I was a homicide detective. There, I had two homicides at the same time. I was trying to work Tiffany. So, it was, you know, I tried to work it when I could. It was frustrating. And I know Lisa was frustrated and everybody's frustrated, really. Why were you assigned Tiffany's case? Because I was crimes against persons. And they know that I, uh, Johnny and I are pretty close. And I, in fact, I was her training officer when she got hired. So they thought I'd be the best person for the job because, you know, I'm not bragging or anything. But once I get a hold of something, I like to work it till I can work it no longer, you know. How did you feel when you were leaving the case? You know, the, the thing is, I didn't feel real good because I didn't think I made any progress at all. You know, I thought I worked it, but I don't I didn't think I made it any closer to finding her, really. Just because the same I was getting the same story from all the different people and the same leads were dead ends and. I worked really hard, but I don't think I really made a dent in it, to be honest with you, because nobody was telling me the truth, you know. So when they took it away from me, granted, I was getting transferred. I just felt like I didn't really get Lisa any. I didn't do anything different than than Johnny had because we still hadn't gotten to the. I was hoping when I got the case, you know, we could find a conclusion for her, but we never did. So it was very frustrating. And. It's still frustrating today because I still, you know, I think about it. And then, of course, you hear about it. And even though I'm retired now, I still, you know, I still have. Plus, I see I'm friends with Lisa on Facebook, so I can see the frustration in her, too. So I didn't feel like I made a difference in the whole thing, to be honest with you. Is there something in particular that you wish you could have accomplished? Well, the main thing besides finding her, obviously, is find that certain person that knows what happened. Like I said earlier, there's somebody out there that knows what happened. And the thing is with the, the the whole drug world, and I worked narcotics for years before I became a detective, they're all liars. They're only out for themselves. You know, that's the real frustrating because the drug world, you know, what can you do for me? It's all about, especially with methamphetamine or heroin or any of them. It's just they're worried about their next high more than they're worried about helping people, you know. So that part was very aggravating. I just wish I could have found that person that knows what happened because there is somebody I'm sure I know there is, but someday somebody's going to get arrested and they're going to find, they're going to say, listen, I'm facing this. This is what I got. And this is, and that lead's going to lead us to her. I really believe that. Was there actually a particular person that you couldn't find or you couldn't ever make contact with? No, not really. Every name that I got from that informant at the jail he gave me several names. Uh, every name that either I couldn't find that person, well, I did find a lot of them were incarcerated, so I interviewed him at the jail. I interviewed one guy actually when he was in court, 
he was actually going to state court on a probation violation. I found him in court and I interviewed him. That was another waste of time. I've had people come into the police department and tell me they have information on on Tiffany, and I would take him to the interview room, set up the whole interview room, and it would be the same. Well, I heard that this happened, and I heard that this happened. No direct evidence, none. I interviewed probably eight to ten either drug dealers or drug users, and I really thought that informant from the jail was going to be a great lead, but it turned out it really wasn't. But the drug world... I worked at DEA for a little while as a task force guy, so I know how these people think. So, Right. So I know Tiffany was involved in the drug world, obviously, and with her boyfriend, Ashley, and everything like that. Besides all that, who do you think Tiffany was? Did you feel like you started to know her? There's articles about her, but there's not a lot of specifics on who she kind of actually was. Well, just talking to Lisa and just um, looking at Tiffany, the Facebook page for Tiffany, you know, just before she got hooked on it, you could tell that she was a great mom. You look at her pictures before she got involved in drugs. What a, a beautiful young girl. And she got involved in drugs and it just ran her life. And, you know, her daughter was not involved because the drugs were more involved. And But if you look at her early before she got involved, I mean, I did a little background on her and just, I mean... I even went back to look at her high school pictures and stuff and, you know, looking at what she was involved in and when she was younger before she got hooked on drugs. And what, a, I mean, what a different person. Obviously a great mom until she got hooked in the dope world. So the whole thing's just a shame. What was your relationship with Lisa like? She spoke highly of you, you and Johnny both. She's such a great lady. I mean, I really... I would, and like I said, I wish I could have done more. But in my relationship with her is very good. I, I I try to keep her updated. She would call me, and I wouldn't just you know ignore her phone calls. If I could get back to her right away, I would. If not, I would get back to her as soon as I could. I tried to keep her updated. I mean, I fell for. Her. I just like I said, I went looked at Tiffany's life before the drugs took over, and I just feel for this mother. You know. So. Are you a parent yourself? I am. I have a daughter. My daughter's young, but still, I could see what the world of drugs does to not only females, but males too, obviously. But I think females in a different way, just because they can do other things to get drugs, which is, you know, if you're like prostitution and stuff like that. I don't know if um, Tiffany was ever involved in that, but it, I've seen it. So Working in the narcotics? Right, yeah. You see especially what the influence of drugs can do. You don't do anything to get that high. So yeah, Lisa is great. It was great to work with her and talk to her. And She seems very involved. I've worked a lot of cases, but um, she was very involved. I think it helped her to be involved. I think, especially John, Johnny's really close to Lisa. I'm not as close as, as Victor Moeller is, but just, I think that personal relationship she had with, especially Johnny, but with me too, helped her. Because she knows she can call either of us back then. And even now, if she called me, I would tell her if I heard anything. But, you know, I'm out of the game, really. So I want to find I want Lisa to find out what happened. And I want to find out what happened. I want to know what the heck happened that night. Because it's like she vanished in thin air, which we know is, doesn't happen. So, Right. Somebody knows something. And I don't think Ashley's going to help us. He's an arrogant, you know, he thinks he's... I don't know if narcissist is the right word, but he's who knows what he's sociopath or something, but he he's cold. And if it doesn't help him, he's not going to say nothing. 
Do you think enough is being done to find out what happened to Tiffany? I think the fact that the DA's office cold case unit has, they have a lot more time on their hands. They have more time to just focus on it. Granted, they get other cases and there's cold case homicides, but I think the DA's office having the case and being maybe, I don't know if the, but they're the primary on it, but just the fact that they have the case over there and they've got seasoned retired detectives over there that'll um, help, they'll look at it. And John Dawes, who's the cold case director over there, he was a great homicide detective at Cobb Police Department. So if anybody can come up with leads, he can. He's just, he's really, don't tell John I said this, but he's a really good detective. <laughs> <laughs> do you still talk to John about the case? I do. I, In fact, I'm a, I'm technically still assigned to that unit since I retired. I can still go over there. I just haven't had time recently. The cold but case I'm probably going to go. Yeah, I'm probably going to go back over there after the after Christmas and work a couple days, you know, three, four hours a day. And I'm thinking about if I get over there, I can just, everybody else can work on some stuff. I'll just grab Tiffany's files and I'll read them, reread them again, all the supplementals. And maybe I can uh, find a name that nobody found, you know. I can focus on just one thing, which will, back when I had her case, I was focused on 20 other cases too, you know. Right. So, that's my plan. Hopefully after the first of the year is to go over there and I'm still assigned there technically. I mean, I still have my pass to get in the building and I'm still assigned to the cold case unit. So after the first of the year, I'm, I'm going to go over there. There's a couple of homicides I'm interested in working that are ours from Marietta plus Tiffany's case. So maybe I can come up with something. I'll let Lisa know that I'm going to, when I go over there, I'll just, uh, Hey, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to take a look and have a look at her case. So I know she'll be happy about that. Yeah. So that's my plan. I wish we could find out what happened. Now, solving it, who knows? We might not solve it, but we we need a location where she is so we can give the family closure. Now, after these many years, whether we can find evidence wherever we find Tiffany, I don't know. But if we can just find something to let Lisa know, listen, here's something you can use and you can have some closure. That'd be important to me. Whether we can charge anybody or not, that'd be great. But if we can get Lisa, some closure, that'd be the most important thing, in my opinion. And if we can charge somebody, that'd be fine, too. Thanks for listening, guys. Sworn is going on hiatus for a few months. For the holidays and while our team prepares for UAV Live, Atlanta Monster, and Up and Vanish Season 2. Stay tuned on our feed for more details. is produced by Tenderfoot TV in Atlanta. Story and production by Payne Lindsay, Mason Lindsay, and Meredith Stedman, and myself, Philip Holloway. Executive producers, Donald Albright and Payne Lindsay. And if you haven't yet, please check out our sister podcast, Up and Vanished, that follows the investigation into the disappearance of Georgia high school teacher and beauty queen, Tara Grinstead. Up and Vanished is available now on Apple Podcasts. Sworn is mixed and mastered by Resonate Recordings. If you're in the market for podcast production, go to ResonateRecordings.com to get your first episode produced for free. If you haven't already, please head over to iTunes now to subscribe, rate, and review Sworn. And make sure you check us out online at SwornPodcast.com and follow us on social media at Sworn Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow me, your host, Philip Holloway, at Phil Holloway ESQ on Twitter. Thanks for listening. This is Philip Holloway, and I'll see you next time on Sworn. Yeah, I see you. I see you. I see you.
Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.